Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. So thankful to be in front of you this morning. Haven't you enjoyed the worship so far? Andre does an amazing job with this choir and the orchestra, and I'm so thankful that they prepare our hearts for worship each Sunday morning. And so I'm thankful to stand in front of you this morning with our hearts prepared for worship. Um, If you have been paying much attention to me in the last few months, which I hope most of you have not been paying a whole lot of attention to me in the last few months, but you've noticed that I've been wearing a suit of armor uh, since the end of June. I've tried to hide it as best I could, but it was pretty impossible. Um, In the end of June, when I was on a mission trip in Southeast Asia, uh, the missionary and I were... uh, taking a couple uh, back to their home, and they were also taking several of us from our church to look at a new area that they were about to begin ministry in. In fact, uh, the missionary that's there now has already moved with his wife and his small child to this area where there are basically no believers in this area, Uh, just a handful of believers in a population of around 60 to 80,000 people. And so they are beginning to try and establish a new work there. And as we were driving uh, this lady back to her house on the way to this area, to this area in this new province that they're about to begin work on, uh, it, the missionary told me that it was not good for her really to be seen with us. It was, it was not healthy for her, both physically and spiritually, to be seen with us because the government in the, in the country that we were visiting uh, could do something to her, uh, could try to harm her and punish her for being seen with believers. And so when we pulled up close to her house, the missionary didn't actually pull up in front of her house, but he pulled up close to her house and she was in the back of a kind of a large, uh, what you and I would call kind of a furniture delivery looking truck. That's the best way to describe it. It's what the missionary has over there to transport his uh, family, but also to be able to load things into it, to transport things around the country. And so that's what he drives. And she was sitting in the back, the very back of what would look like kind of the delivery area with several of the people from our church, and there were some people in the front. It's a double cab. There were some people in the front, too, and I was in the front seat. And when we got closer, as he began to tell me kind of the things that were happening and what needed to take place, uh, he said, we need to get out quick. He was pulling up in front of an area where we were going to drop her off, and he said, we need to get out quick and help her. And so I opened the door and got out as quick as I could, but the only problem was when I went to get out quick, my feet caught the inside of the door. And as I started to leap out of the truck in my 20-year-old mind, my 60-year-old body took over and my feet began to stumble. And as I began to stumble, the only thing that happened to me was I began to pick up speed, which I knew was not good in my situation. And as I took about five steps, knowing that my speed was getting ahead of my legs, I knew what was getting ready to happen. And I literally sat down right on, as Joel would say, my rear and uh, hit my rear straight and sent a shockwave up my spine like I have never felt in my life. Uh, I, all of us probably have done that before, sometime when you were seven or sometime when you were 12 or sometime when you were 16, maybe you you just jumped and all of a sudden you, you fell on your bottom and, and that, that hit and it kind of shocks and about three seconds later you're back up and you're doing whatever you were doing. 
When I did that, when I hit my bottom, I just completely collapsed over. And I'll never forget the 29-year-old missionary who was driving and he came around, saw what had happened. He came around and he bent over and he got in my face and he said, are you okay? And I remember barely being able to get out the words, I've fallen and I can't get up. (laughs) And I thought, oh my gosh, I need one of those buttons that you push right now that calls people to come help you. And, and all the empathy that uh, a 29-year-old Aggie missionary can muster up, he said, I'm going to go run her to her house. I'll be right back. And I said, okay, that's fine with me because I'm not moving. And I literally sat there for a couple of minutes while he got her taken care of. And he came back and he said, do you think you can get up now? And I said, I think I can if you help me. And he grabbed me and he helped me and everybody cleared out of the back seat of that cab and I threw myself in the back seat of that cab and for the rest of the day we were uh, going to look at the province. He said, do you want to change our plans? Do you want to just go back? And I said, no, it's very important that you let our people see what you're getting ready to do. I'll just lay back here in the back. And so I did. I did that through lunch and I did that through kind of a driving tour and a walking tour that they took of the province. And then I did that as we went back to the hotel. And it was about six hours later when I finally made it back to the hotel. And we placed a call to Dr. Farron across the world here to uh, our friend and our church member, Dr. Farron. And I said, I, I've fallen. I think I've hurt myself. And he said, can you get some medicine? And I, th- I said, I think so. And the missionary literally got the medicine that Dr. Farron prescribed. And if you ever want to get medicine, let me suggest that you go to Southeast Asia because the missionary got the medicine that Dr. Farron said he thought would help me. And he came back and he was laughing. And I said, I said to the missionary, I said, what is so funny? And he said, well, I got you two packs of the medicine. It's about 30 pills. And I said, okay, how much do I owe you? He said, 75 cents. Oh, my goodness. I said, can you go back and get several more packs? Because this could really help me in the long run. And he he laughed. They did actually get me a little bit of medicine before I came back. What happened to me when I got back and... Uh, it, it did not quit hurting. I, I, Dr. Farron said, well, let's take an x-ray. And I, so I, I had an x-ray done, it, and I went uh, to Dr. Farron, and Dr. Farron said, you have broken your back. He said, you have a compression fracture of your T12 vertebrae. And he said, uh, it's not good. He said, so you need to go see another doctor. And, and so we got all involved with that. They recommended no surgery or anything else. What, the best way that I can describe it to you is I have the same injury that Tony Romo does for the Dallas Cowboys. The exact same injury. And what is so disheartening is when they started talking about Tony Romo, they said, you know, he can be back in six to eight weeks, we think. And I went to my doctor and they told me it would take four to six months before my back healed. And I said, how can that be? I said, Tony Romo's going to be ready in six to eight weeks. And he said, well, Tony Romo is 33 years old and he's an athlete. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I, I said. And? And he said, well, think about it. You're 60 and you're not anywhere close to an athlete. (laughs) So 
I had an x-ray about two weeks ago, and they looked at it, and it's been four months, and they said, yeah, it's probably going to be six months, maybe seven months before it's healed. But you are trending in the right direction, and it looks like that we're not going to have to do surgery. So I was so thankful for that. But I'll never forget, after the very first time the accident happened to me, and I had the x-rays, and I found out that I had this compression fracture, I I remember talking to the doctor, and, and, and I said this, I wish... I could live that five minutes over again in my life. I I wish I could go back and change that five minutes of my life because it has severely affected me since June. Uh, the, The pain is like nothing else I've ever felt. It's just now beginning to get better after four months. And, I, and I've, I've told Laura, I've told other people who have asked me if I could just live that five minutes over again. And I begin to think about all the other times that we probably wished we could live five minutes over again. And I can't imagine that there's anybody within the sound of my voice that couldn't go back sometime in their life and say, I wish I could live those five minutes over again. Whether it was taking a test in college or whether it was, uh, you know, right before an accident happened to you, there's just so many different times in our life, and you're probably rolling through them right now in in your memory bank of if I could just have had those five minutes over again. But the problem is you can't have those five minutes over again. You can't change them. Even the scripture is pretty clear to us. It says, who of us If we worry, can add an hour to our life or change anything. If I worry about what happened to me at the end of June, it won't change my life. It's it's not even going to make an hour's difference in my life. That's what the scripture tells us in Matthew 6, 27. But there is something that we can control. And that's the five minutes of life that we have in front of us. We can control that with the Lord's help and with the Holy Spirit guiding us as to what the five minutes of our life in the future looks like. Which brings me to the passage that I want to share with you this morning. If you'll take your Bible and if you'll turn to John the fourth chapter. I know it's simplistic to think about And it's even kind of a sophomore title of a sermon to say, can five minutes make a difference? Because all of us would say, well, certainly, five minutes can make a difference. But it's so evident in Scripture how Jesus lays out for us how we can actually help to change people's lives in five minutes. Jesus Christ did it over and over again in Scripture. You can... You can see it over and over again when you look at Scripture, how Jesus would take five minutes and how he would change somebody's life forever. And it's almost always the same pattern. In fact, I challenge you after we finish this morning that you take the pattern that we will look at this morning and that you apply it to almost every other place in Scripture where Jesus shares with somebody for just five or ten minutes And how he uses the same pattern over and over and over again to help change someone's life. 
And then, of course, my prayer at the end would be that you and I would both take this pattern that Jesus displays for it and we would begin to use it in our life as a principle to help guide us to when we have the opportunity to share with somebody for five or ten minutes. The passage is not unfamiliar with you. It's in uh, John, the fourth chapter, and it's usually titled something along the lines of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, or Jesus and the Samaritan woman, or Jesus with the woman at the well. And that's how you can find it titled typically in the scripture. This morning, I want to read to you from the New Living Translation. I think Jonathan's been able to get it where it will be up on the screen for you. So if you'll bear with me as I read this and as I share this with you, and then after we finish doing that, I'll go back and point out four things that Jesus typically does when he's sharing with somebody in a five or ten minute conversation. Listen as the scripture teaches us in John chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water Then he and his sons and his animals enjoyed. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it here as Mount Jerusalem where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, 
I am the Messiah. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. When Jesus involved himself in a conversation, he always offered certain things. And in this passage, it's very clear that he offered four things to the Samaritan woman that all of us can look at in our lives and realize that when we get involved in the conversation, this is what we are supposed to offer. The first thing is this. Jesus offered compassion and mercy to the Samaritan woman. When you look at verse 9 and 10, it says the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Listen, the definition of compassion is very simple. You see the need and then you take action. The problem with a lot of believers is that we see the need, but sometimes we don't know if we should take action. And Jesus made it very clear to us in passages throughout the New Testament that when we see people in need, we are supposed to be compassionate. And when we are compassionate, we will not only see the need, but we will take action. That's what separates you and me from the rest of the world. The rest of the world will see needs, but they won't take action. But with you and me being followers of Jesus Christ, our lives are supposed to be significantly different. And it means that we are supposed to take action. When you back up to verse 4, you will see that it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Well, the truth of that matter is that it wasn't Jesus diverting out of his way to make sure he went through Samaria. Judea was in the south, Galilee was in the north, and for him to to get to Galilee, he had no option but to go through Samaria. So he was going to run into Samaritans. You and I live that same kind of life. We are going to put ourselves in situations, not because we purposefully even try to put ourselves into situations where we can find ourselves in place to help people, but because we are just going about our daily lives, going from one place to another, and on that journey from one place to another, you're going to run into people who need compassion in their life. It may be leaving your office and physically going to another office. And when you're on your way from one office to another office, you see somebody who is a Samaritan woman. You see somebody who needs you to stop and be compassionate. It may be driving from here to Houston or here to Dallas when you're driving along the side of the road and you see somebody who needs your compassion, who not only knows that you saw the need, but that you would take the action to help in that need. Listen, some of you will probably get this. Most of you will not be upset that I say this, but some of you might be, and it's okay if you don't uh, like what I'm about to tell you. 
But what I'm about to tell you is what I believe is the gospel truth. When you look at verse 9 and it says, The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. There's a couple of things that roll around in my mind. One is she was telling Jesus the very obvious. I think Jesus knew that he was a Jew. I don't think she shocked him by saying, well, hang on a second, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and we're not supposed to talk to each other. I don't think that surprised Jesus at all and I think Jesus was trying to tell us a life lesson. And that life lesson could be pointed out in a lot of different ways to us today. It, it, it could very easily read to us today, I'm white and you're black. Why are you stopping to talk to me today? It could very easily be pointed out to us today that somebody could say, well, I'm Republican and you're Democrat. Why are you stopping to talk to me today? It could be, I'm an American and you could put in any other country in the world today and you could say, why are you stopping to talk to me today? It could be, I'm old and you're young. Listen, it, it, it could be, I'm straight and you're gay. Why are you stopping to talk to me today? And the reason is very simple. Because Jesus teaches us that compassion and mercy rule over your skin color. They rule over what political party you belong to. They rule over your age. And they rule over sexual orientation. Now don't get confused. Don't misunderstand. In just a few moments, we will come to the place where Jesus will point out the sin to the Samaritan woman. But we're not there yet. The first thing that happens when Jesus goes to the well is He does not point out the sin of the Samaritan woman. He does not walk up to her and say, here you are getting some water. You're a sinner. Let me help you get the water. The first thing He says to her is, here I am. How can I help you? But we miss that picture sometimes as believers of the gospel because we think it's so important that we point out the sin of people. But the Holy Spirit does a great job of pointing out the sin of people. We need to do a better job of being compassionate and merciful to people. Listen, even the woman, think about the woman. The woman is telling Jesus, here's what the law says. If we were to put it in terms today, the woman is pointing out to Jesus, here's what the culture says today. The culture says today, you're not supposed to speak to me. But Jesus says, I'm not interested in what the culture says today. I'm interested in providing grace to you today. 
How much of an impact would we have on the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people that we are surrounded with in our lives if we were more interested in being graceful than we were in being cultural to them today? Listen, the the second thing that you will see here is not only does Jesus offer compassion and mercy, but He offers hope. He offers hope. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, and this is the Samaritan woman speaking, she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? This is typical This is who you and I run into every day. And what they're always looking for is a better well. That's what this lady is thinking that Jesus is offering to her. She thinks that Jesus is going to figure out a better way to get the water out of the well. Better than even Jacob came up with. And it's what we run into when we go to Jamaica on a mission trip. The, the very first time I ever went to Jamaica on a mission trip, this, and this is typical, this is how uh, probably women and men's minds work, but for sure how men's minds work. And that is when we go to construct these homes, we literally bucket concrete up. And we take sackcrete up and we... We mix it in, in, in the middle of the slab of the house that we're building. And we're mixing sacrete with shovels and water. And, and they're bucketing water to the place. And every man that I've ever taken there, and most of the women that I've taken there do the same thing. The very first time they go, they get in the middle of it and they're doing all the manual labor. And they're sitting there thinking the whole time, there's such an easier way to do this. There's such a better way to do this. Why don't we go back and we'll buy one of those huge concrete mixers. And we'll put it on a boat and we'll send it over to Jamaica And we'll send it to the Harmons where we'll be. And then when it comes time to mix the concrete, we'll pour all that concrete in that mixer and we'll plug it into a generator and it'll spin and spin and we can watch it spin and we can build this house in three days or two days instead of five days. And it'll be such a cool thing that we can build this house faster. And I'll never forget, never forget the missionary, as I was talking to him, it's my college roommate, it's Lloyd. I was talking to Lloyd and said, I'll go back to my church because my church loves helping people. And my church is a giving church. And my church will give us a concrete mixer that we can put on the boat for Jamaica. And he said, please don't do that. I went, Lloyd, how can you say that? We can build more homes. We can build them faster. We can build them better. And he said, you will take every opportunity away from us to just visit with people while we're mixing concrete. And just to converse with people while we're mixing concrete. Bobby, when you're in the middle of that foundation and you're mixing concrete with a Jamaican, you're not supposed to be just mixing concrete. You're supposed to be giving them the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's what's supposed to happen with your conversation. 
Not that you're whining about having a mixer and how you could do it better. You're supposed to be stirring that concrete and telling somebody how Jesus changed your life. You talk about changing your attitude. Changing how five minutes in your life can make a difference. Look, people are looking for a better well, but Jesus wants to quench her thirst. Jesus is not, doesn't have a better rope to go down in the well. He doesn't have a bigger bucket. He has living water. That's what this woman doesn't understand. That's what she's trying to figure out. And we need to do anything we can to get the gospel to the people. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm going to rock your world. Because I'm not going to tell you about how you can get a bigger bucket or get a better rope. And I'm not going to do it better than Jacob did it. What I'm going to do to you is offer you living water. Listen, the third thing is this. And this is what I was telling you about a minute ago. When when she finally kind of clues in to what's going on, he offers forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. Look Look at what it says in verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she immediately cries out, please, sir, give me this water. I'll never never be thirsty again. That's what I want. I've come here to get that kind of water. And he immediately turns to her and says, go and get your husband. This is where Jesus points out her sin. It's not that we can give Jesus to people without them being forgiven of their sins. They they can't be. Romans 3.23 tells us that. Romans 3.23 tells us that everyone's a sinner. And they all need to be forgiven. Or they're going to die. And that's what Jesus was telling this woman. He had come to her in compassion... He had offered her hope, and now he's saying the way you get that compassion and hope into an eternal life is you seek forgiveness of your sins. And that's what he does here. And he points it out to her and says, go and get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus immediately says, in love, you're absolutely right. You don't have a husband. You've had four but the man you're living with now, you're not married to. And the truth is, we, she could have had four and divorced them all. We don't know if that's true. She could have had four and they, they had all died. We don't know the background of that story. She may not have sinned necessarily by having four husbands. The supposition is probably that she did. That uh, she had either been divorced or had married uh, off and divorced and married and divorced and had been living this sinful life, but we don't know that. But what we do know is Jesus pointed out the man that you're living with right now, you're not married to. And that's a sin. And she understands that. Listen, this is what you need to hear coming out of Jesus' mouth is that he spoke the truth to her in love. He told her the truth, but he told her in love. And that's what we as believers are to do. 
We meet people in compassion. We offer them hope. But then we speak the truth in love. We cannot change what Scripture says. If you're a gay person, if you're living a gay lifestyle, you are living in sin. I cannot change what the Scripture says about it. And I have no more right to do that than anybody else living on the face of the earth has the right to do that. But what I can tell you in compassion and hope and in love is that Jesus loves you and that He cares for you and that He wants to offer you living water. But I can tell that to the adulterer too. And I can tell that in gospel truth to the glutton. And I can tell it to the cheat and to the liar. And I can tell it to every one of you And I can look in the mirror and tell it to myself because the scripture says that I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner. The difference is that I've tasted the living water. And I never want to go back. The last thing is this. Listen, Jesus offered compassion. He offered hope. He offered forgiveness. And then he offered her a future. When you look at verse 21 and continuing, it's it's really wrapped up in, in Jesus saying, look, here's living water. And this living water means that you have a future in your life. Can you believe that Jesus did all of that? in just a five-minute conversation, when, when I read through this scripture to you in j- just a few moments ago, it probably didn't take me any more than five minutes to read that. In fact, it probably took less than five minutes for me to read that whole scripture. And in the midst of that five-minute time frame, you saw Jesus offer compassion and mercy to someone. You saw him offer hope to someone. You saw him offer forgiveness to someone. And you see him right now saying, look at your future. Look at what Jesus Christ, look at what I can do for the rest of your life. You know where we miss it sometimes? Where we blow it sometimes? Even as believers, we live a life thinking that our future is going to be great. But the scripture says that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are given the abundant life immediately. Immediately. What Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman is you can begin to worship me now. You can begin to follow me now. You can begin to live for me now. And if we are really believers in Jesus Christ, eternity has already happened to you. Do you realize that? As believers in Jesus Christ, you are already living eternity. You've just begun it right now. When I was seven years old, when I was a young boy in Garden Oaks Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, when the conviction of the Holy Spirit came into my life, and I went down and I asked my mom, I said, Mom, something's happening with me. I know that the Lord is talking to me. I don't know what's going on. She said, let's walk down 
and talk to the pastor. And during an invitation at the end of a Sunday morning service, my mom held my hand as a seven-year-old boy, walked me down to the aisle, and I grabbed the pastor's hand and I said, something is happening to me. I don't know what's going on, but I know that I need Jesus into my life. And he sat down with me on the front pew and he talked with me for just a few minutes. And I prayed and asked Jesus to change my life forever and to forgive me of my sins. Do you know at seven years old I started living eternity? I did. Nobody can take that away from me. You can't take that away from me. The world can't take that away from me. Breaking my back cannot take it away from me. A horrible car accident cannot take it away from me. Losing a job cannot take it away from me. Nothing can take away from me that Jesus Christ gave me eternity. He gave me a future. And it's mine because He gave it to me. And His Scripture promises that He will never take it away from me. And He will never take it away from you either. Once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, it's yours and it's yours forever. The question is, has anybody ever spent five minutes with you and shared that with you? The question is, have you become a believer in Jesus Christ? And then, if the answer is yes, then the great news is that you have eternity. But here's... The question that you have to ask yourself, if that has happened to you, if you're living in eternity, what do you do with the next five minutes of your life? And what will you do with the next five minutes after that? And the next five minutes after that? What will you do when you walk out of this building and you see somebody who needs compassion? What will you do when you walk into your job tomorrow morning? And you see somebody that needs compassion. What will you do when you're traveling these Thanksgiving holidays and you see somebody who needs compassion? Only you can answer that. I can't answer that for you. But I know that all of us need to be practicing the same love that Jesus gave. Will you pray with me? Father, throughout Scripture, you showed us that you gave compassion and a hope and forgiveness and a future. You showed us with the this parable of the Good Samaritan. You showed us with Zacchaeus. You showed us with Jairus' daughter. You showed us over and over again, Father, how you used five minutes to change people's lives. Father, will you help us to be agents of change where you have placed us? God, may we always be on the lookout to be difference makers in people's lives. Father, you are such a good God, and we are so thankful to be your children. Now, fathers, we come to a time where we can respond to what has been shared through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, may you open our hearts to how you would want us to respond. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
In just a few moments, Andre will come and lead us in a hymn of worship. It will also be a hymn of invitation. It will be an opportunity for you to respond to how the Lord's been speaking to you this week. And whether you want to come to this altar and just pray or whether you would like to come down and possibly speak to me about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Or whether you would want to come and say, this is the church where I want to place my future, where I want to place my membership. Maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe there's some other thing that you would like to do. Maybe some of you are being called into full-time Christian ministry. Uh, Maybe God has spoken to you in that way. Maybe there's something that I haven't even mentioned, but that you would want to come down and speak to me about or that you would want to come down and pray about. I want you to know that this altar is open for you to do that as we stand together and we sing as Andre leads us.